One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, everybody. This month, I'm asking for your support on Patreon. So, if you haven't had a chance yet um, to listen to my first episode of the year, go ahead and take a listen to that, and I explain a little bit more about why I am so passionate about Patreon. And one of the experiences that I had this, this just this past December with some of my patrons, where we had a one-hour Zoom call, we were able to chat about everything and anything they wanted to talk to me about. And it was an amazing experience, I think for them, but certainly for me as well. So please head on over to Patreon and help support the show. You can give any amount, five, 10, $20. You can give less than that, but any little bit helps in supporting life, death, and the space between. Also make sure you're following me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And if you are interested in receiving my newsletter, which has biweekly soul wisdoms, please head on over to dramyrobbins.com and subscribe to my newsletter. Lastly, I'm still taking ghost stories for this year. Uh, I don't have any more, so or maybe I have one more. So if you have a ghost story to share, please send that to team at dramyrobbins.com and I will be excited to share it on my show. Hi, today is part two of my episode with William Peters, whose new book, At Heaven's Door, is out now. The episode, hopefully you got the first part of the episode, but part two um, is today. It was just such a great episode. I wanted to make sure to capture it all and not uh, have you all listening for hours on end. So enjoy today's episode. Is there a way to for people to facilitate these or bring them on? Because how I've always said is when I've talked about my experiences that I had a spontaneous, spiritually transformative experience. Like I didn't know what other words. And that's only as I've done this work, I've learned that there are actual terms for this. Yes. So this is, you know, you're asking great questions because when I first started the organization in 2000. Uh, in 11, uh, then we formalized it in 2013. Uh, I should say we started the research and really, you know, I did groups in 2011 as a psychotherapist, bringing people together to discuss all of these phenomena around end of life. And quite frankly, they took off. People were just, you know, so excited to be able to discuss this because death is such a fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've, a lot of people have experiences. So, Um, But when I started this work, my goal was to 
develop methods to enable shared, shared death experiences. And I actually, my first research project was with five groups, 15 people each, roughly 16 people each actually, of paired loved ones, one of the persons closer to death, either a terminal diagnosis or elderly. And my goal was to teach these methods that I had um, devised. And then when I say these methods, I, these methods were kind of downloaded in me, kind of interesting. I kind of felt when I was putting mm. this course together, all of a sudden I said, well, I really want to do this. I think I know how to do it. And all of a sudden I was just writing. It was like, oh my gosh, this is how you do this. I was kind of a receptacle for this. So I want to be honest that I didn't feel like I intellectually came out and crafted these. These were kind of downloaded in me. So I ran these methods on this group. And one of the problems we had with collecting data was everyone felt so much greater after this group talking about death and working mm -hmm. through all this psycho-emotional luggage and spiritual exploration and meditations and guided visualizations, all this stuff. People didn't die. People felt better. They hung around a lot longer. So I didn't, wasn't able to collect the data <laughs> to, to, right. to demonstrate the efficacy of my methods. Now, anecdotally, sometime later, we did those groups in 2014, 15, and I think early 16 too. Now that we're five years out from that, we, we have anecdotal data that suggests that about 90% of these people around a death will have some sort of shared crossing experience. I'm thinking anything I mentioned on that continuum. Now that's anecdotal. And the way I come up with that is basically anytime I see somebody in the group, they say, oh my gosh, I got to tell you what happened when so-and-so died. And, and they'll say, uh, you know, I had this, or I watched this, or this is what happened. And it's something on our shared crossing spectrum of end of life experiences. About a quarter to 50% will have a shared death experience. Um, and, and that's kind of the pinnacle experience, although mo all of them are wonderful experiences. So do we have methods? Yes. And I teach them in a program called the Share Crossing Pathway, which we used to do in person all the time in Santa Barbara, and people would hire me to go around the country and do it. Now with COVID, mm -hmm. um, we're moving them online. Um, but just if your viewers are interested, the first set of groups that we're doing online since we just started our online platform are going to be in-depth studies of the shared death experiences of the literature because people really want to know about that and it's so little known about it so if you know if you want to get the book that's great but because the book does go into it with 28 case studies but we also have courses for people can learn because some people there's different ways people like to learn well and what's so interesting too as you're talking one of the things i'm thinking about when i interviewed um jeff redinger who, who wrote the book cured about spontaneous healings one of the things he talks about in the book is that when people accept death, they tended to live longer or their, yes. their um, illness remitted. And so I'm just thinking like, as you talked about death and decreased people's fear of death in these circles, did they then live longer because they no longer feared the thing that was, I mean, we could get into a whole conversation about yeah. fear and what that does, but um, you know, yes. that's just sort of what I was thinking. I think you're right on. And that was my anecdotal um, response because we had, at least in our group of 75, 
it was 76 actually because it was we had 38 couples that ran through and of those 38 couples one when there was one at least 15 um had a terminal cancer diagnosis none of those current oh one person died um and they died very quickly in the group actually they didn't finish the group which was sad but that it can happen um but the rest of them live much longer in fact i remember that one person in the group two of them actually said to me i'm feeling so much better and i know it's because of this group and i said well did you share that with your oncologist and um <laughs> i went back to the oncologist the oncologist said my gosh you're doing so well and then this person said well it's because i'm doing this group and i'm talking about death and dying and the oncologist kind of looked in both cases they described an oncologist looking kind of askance like you know not seeing any correlation to discussing course, death yeah. and dying how right. it relates to your healing Right. But, you know, that's because, you know, oncologist is all about um, attacking cancer. I mean, they're engaged in a war on cancer, so they're not interested in the psycho-emotional, at least most oncologists. Now, hopefully that will change over time as our modern medicine um, evolves and becomes more mature and, and understands the relationship between uh, psycho-emotional uh, dimensions of being and um, the presentations in our physical body. So this is such a fascinating interview. I'm loving this. So, so let me ask you, so since you've heard so many stories, are there any patterns about who shows up kind of to welcome the person who's dying or who has died? Like, do you see, I know you, in the book, you talked about some people reporting angels or loved ones or guides, or like, is there any rhyme or reason to any of this? Yes. So let's go into um, this question of who appears. So 51% of our um, interviewees who've had the shared death experience report that they saw the dying. They saw the dying. Okay. Now, that could be a stretch if, if they said, I felt the dying, we'll still put that in the saw the dying category because they had, in that realm, your sensory um, experiences are different. I know that's hard to explain, but what we hear is like, well, did you see them? If you push them, they'll say, I saw them. Did you see them? They'll say, well, kind of, uh, but I felt them. I knew it was them. And so like, so in that dimension, these are state specific sensory experiences. So. A lot of our language breaks down because it's a different dimension where there are mm -hmm. different experiences. It's like so, how, it, when people say, how did you know it was them? It's like, I just knew. Well, how did you know? I don't know. I just knew. Yeah. So you are just quoting what most of our experiencers say when we push them. I just knew. I just knew. It's so like, well, can you say more? Uh, I can try, but I just knew it was them. And so, and I, well, how would you compare that knowing to this realm of being a human being? And they say, oh, no, no, it was much more significant. You know, okay, so there you have it. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it, it's the knowing. So 51% will see the dying uh, or recognize the dying or encounter the dying. In our research, we call it encountering the dying. But the most common expression of that encounter is seeing, is the term seeing. 
16% of our respondents will uh, report that they saw uh, a non-human, elevated, uh, highly evolved being. Now that could be described as an angel, that could be described as a being of light, that could be described as some other force, but it's a being that they recognize. And it's benevolent, it's usually there to help with the transition. 13% will report seeing a deceased relative or friend, some relation that is known by the dying to our predeceased. So that's who you see over there. Now you asked a specific question about kind of angels. Mm -hmm. So that happens in 16% of the time. Now I just said, you know, you, they may not refer to this being as an angel, but I think in times gone past, they would refer to it as an angel. So a being of light, a benevolent something or other that shows up, doesn't have to have wings, but it performs an angelic function of helping, loving, serving, supporting. So in the book, I title that angels. Mm -hmm. So would that be different from like a spirit guide? No, we would count, we would count a spirit guide as an elevated being who's they've, they've seen or experienced encountered in the SDE and a spirit guide um, typically is there to assist and help. So it has an angelic function. We wouldn't call a spirit guide an angel, but like I said, in the book, I title the book, you know, angels in the SDE, SDE and angels. Well, and I think most people, unless you're pretty like entrenched yeah. in the spiritual world, know even spirit guides, like they'd be like, yeah. what are you talking about spirit? Um, I think, did I miss anything? Have I not covered anything? <laughs> <laughs> We've covered a, a fair amount of territory here. No, I appreciate it. Oh, I know the other question I had when you were talking before and I forgot. When you talk about the like early dimensions or lower dimensions, I guess yeah. they would be. What are those? Like what if, what do people describe as sort of those maybe first layers of dimensions? And then do you have a sense of where it goes from there? Uh, great question. So in the lower dimensions of an SDE, you'll actually see or observe phenomena right in the room of the dying. If you're in the room, if you're bedside, you will actually see soul spirit leaving the body. That happens about 12% of the time. Okay. Someone will see something leave the body, typically through the heart or third eye or crown. Those are what we call, those are what I call um, SDE features or phenomena right in this first dimension outside of the human body. And there's different names for that. I don't go in and give names like, you know, there, there are different, you know, cosmologies that would have different astral levels, perhaps to that mm -hmm. different. But for me, those are the most basic ones. Also accompany with that, those really closer to human life phenomena are change in the geometry of the room. So the time space continuum gets warped. 
that type of thing. You'll feel a lot of energy in your body as you start developing these other sensorial uh, adaptive um, relational qualities, if you will, or, or perception capacities. After that, you'll go into another realm. And that realm is described differently, but it usually has um, phenomena of seeing the deceased in a more recognized and a more, I want to say human form, you recognize more of them. So if you see the soul spirit leaving the body, you're not, you're just going to see it leaving the body as a membrane or as light or as a silhouette. But in that dimension, you get, it's as if you get a little bit more of a sense for them. Um, if you know what I mean, you'll also see heavenly realms. You'll see um, the light. The light is typically up in the distance, way out. So when you ask where you're headed, all these are journeys. The dominant motif is journey and relationship. So you'll see them progressing in this journey to the light. The light is often in the distance. Um, sometimes forming a cascade or a column of light that the dying, the transitioning travels up. Sometimes you'll come to a boundary, which is very interesting. In that realm, you do come to a boundary. And Similar that's once to the again, boundary you talked about in your near-death experience. That's correct. You okay. can't go any further. In a shared death experience, the boundary is expressed either as a realization in the person that the, the, that the caregiver loved can go no further, Sometimes it's a the dying or the angelic beings, the elevated beings will, will communicate in some way. This is as far as you can go. Um, but there you have it. So are the is that this is as far as you can go the same for a shared shared death experiencer as it is for a near-death experiencer? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That is a great question. In my, I, I, I know of no shared death experiencers that have actually gone into the light. I've no heard them. Experiencers have near no shared death experiencers. Shared death experiencers have actually said they've gone into the light. They've gotten up close to the light, but never said I was in the light. As, as in my first near death experience, I was in the light. And your many near share, death experience. I'm sorry. My first. I'm sorry, Amy. My first near death experience. Okay. I was in the light. My skiing accident. Right. I was in the light. Okay. Now, if you go back to my 
um, ICU experience floating above my body, I was in that first dimension that um, I hadn't left the room. That's a different dimension. There's another dimension right after that. So, um, and, and I think we've talked about this a fair amount. With my Zen hospice experience with Ron, I was in that first dimension, a co-out-of-body experience. There are, you go, most shared death experiences, or many of them, go beyond that and go into these other dimensions that, you know, like I said, there are cosmologies to define these, but I'm not going to do that today because those are longer discussions. Um, but the light seems to be the final destination. Got it. So we don't Or at know. least for this, for the shared death and near death experiencers, the light is as far as we go. We don't know of examples where people go beyond the light in any way. But I mean, there are some spectacular NDEs like Dr. Evan Alexander's, mm -hmm. where he has a whole tour of the universe. Um, and we have some SDEers that have that too. But light is either way in the distance or um, guiding the way. Got it. Like, so. Ultimately, it seems like the light is the end realm. Okay. And we don't really necessarily know what would be beyond that because people don't come back from that unless they report it as a past life experience, <laughs> an in-between yeah. life regression life experience or something. <laughs> in, in our literature, in my research, I have not seen people go through the light in the, in the shared death experience. I've, as I said, I don't. I can't. Th I can think of one case where someone goes right up close to the li the light, and in that case, he's with his. In fact, that's in the book with uh, that's Mark T in the book. He goes up close to the light. He's guiding his father in this experience until his father sees his mother, and his father sees his uncle, and there's and they're right up at this light. Um, archway it's a portal and it's blazing and we don't see mark realizes he can go no further that's it mm. he gets mm. up close to the light and that's it mm. so fascinating do you have time for a quick speed round or sure okay just a couple i started doing this this season just some fun questions to like so our my listeners can get a different sense of of my guests so spirituality means a relationship with ourselves, but in relationship to the ultimate reality, the sense of our essence, our soul, spirit, self in relationship beyond a human life. It's a beautiful answer. What is something most people don't know about you? Oh, I love ocean water swimming. Any, any body of water, uh, fresh water, ocean water. Uh, and that's how, that's one of the ways I really get rebalanced and connect to myself. What is one thing you are really looking forward to right now? Resting. I'm pretty busy <laughs> with this book coming out. Yeah. I, I'm really on a on a roll, um, which I'm glad, thankful to be on. But I look forward to deep rest. Yeah. 
What is one thing you are deeply grateful for right now? The opportunity to share this research and, and my experiences. Um, and when I say research, it's not just studying cases, it's clinical research. I have sat with hundreds of people in my clinical um, office, in my consultation room, hearing these experiences and helping people realize that they're healthy, that they're, that they, that they're not somehow, um, they didn't somehow have a delusional or um, hallucinatory moment, mm -hmm. that they actually were given a gift. And I want, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to help people realize what the shared death experiences, other shared crossings are and what beautiful gifts they are. Mm -hmm. What is one thing, um, what book is on your nightstand right now? Oh, uh, the Dao Te Ching. I'm reading from it right now. I love it. I'll, I'll add it to my nightstand list. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, it's, you know, it's very deeply, um, embedded in a whole different spiritual tradition than we have in the West. Uh, and so I'm fascinated by the beautiful language metaphor they use to describe the Tao, the, that beautiful force that seems to move, inspire uh, all of life, but does it in such a paradoxical way. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Add that to my list. Yes. And get the, get the version that's translated by Stephen Mitchell. Okay. Yeah. Stephen Mitchell, the, the psychologist? Uh, no, that's the oh, relational okay. psychologist. Yeah. No, uh, Stephen Mitchell, the translator, who, oh, is, okay. who, who I believe is married to Byron Katie. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yes. They're Californians. Of course. In the next town over, uh, Ojai. Oh, I love Ojai. <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. in the wrong place. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? Well, I'm a, a Vipassana meditator. Um, I was blessed to be living in the Bay Area, which is where I'm from, when Spirit Rock opened with Jack Cornfield and oh, Sylvia wow. Bordstein in the late 90s. And I was meditating there even before the center existed. It was just land and some trailers. And so I met them. And I mean, and I didn't meet them in the best of circumstances. I was in severe chronic pain and I was just looking for relief and I wasn't getting it from the West. And so I was referred to these people, you know, these meditators who had people, these Westerners who lived in Asia and were bringing back these practices called mindfulness that were helping people get in touch more deeply with their uh, somatic and affective experience. And so I started meditating with them and learned these beautiful practices. So, and, that, and you know, I should say, I eventually melded that with my um, Catholic Christian upbringing because I love the Christian mystics. I feel like Christian mystics are Vipassana meditators. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And the truth be known, there's not a, spiritual tradition that I've studied, and I've studied a lot of them that I don't love. Mm -hmm. Like I love Avaita Vedanta. I just absolutely love the, the Hindu practices and, and all those rituals. And 
um, I don't like hollow ritual, but I like meaningful ritual. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yes. What uh, you might've answered this earlier. What has been the most transformative experience of your life? <laughs> As we're talking about a multitude of transformative experiences. You know, I, I think having becoming a father, mm. I, I just absolutely adore my daughter, you know, what, what she brings out in me, what she challenges me to look at. I just, she's now 15 and a half. She's less adorable and more lovely <laughs> and challenging. daughter too. <laughs> but I still just absolutely love what she brings out in me. Yeah. Uh, which, was, which she invites me to look at, you know. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, I was just talking to someone earlier about my son who turns eight this week. And I was like, I am just so, I, I feel like I'm falling in love with him again yeah. in a different way. And I think that's the beauty of parenthood is you fall in love with your kids yeah. constantly. Sometimes you don't fall in love with them so, so much too, yeah. but- but that like peer, that that ability to kind of fall in and out of love, I guess, always loving, but sometimes it's a little stronger than other times, for sure. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. There are times when I absolutely flip out at what <laughs> I'm encountering. So that's a spiritually transformative experience right there is to see how, wow, I can get so reactive about things that my daughter does essentially and or wears in my house yeah that's true or or doesn't wear right. Um, right, exactly. doesn't wear enough of right, right. like <laughs> oh, clothes like clothes yes i know <laughs> i thought there was a policy at the school about midriff and and no midriff i'm not getting this here yeah so, no we don't have it here either and it's chicago and it's freezing and it's still like out there for the world to see before i'll tell you yeah, it's sounding like you and I need a support group, Amy. Yeah, but anyway, for sure, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, that would be it. And you know, it's interesting because very interesting because yeah, I mean, I've had a, a lot of spiritual experiences, um, and you know, a number of NDEs, a lot of shared crossing experiences. A, I mean, I've been on two ninety-day, one sixty-day, and one ninety-day silent retreat that was just like literally brought me into a different way of experiencing being alive and and you know so and yet what i love is that those experiences were great and they helped me live my life but there's nothing like the challenge of loving my daughter um and what that innately challenges me to do Mm -hmm. um, in a good way yeah well william Thank you so much for your time. I know one of the things we didn't touch on was I was going to share an experience I recently oh. had. I don't know if you would still like me to do that. If you no, we can do that. that. Um, we can. So that's up to you, Amy. I have the time if you'd like to do that. Sure, because you were going to kind of walk us through what happened a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Please. So um, I hope that my sister-in-law, I think she'd be okay with me sharing this, but her, if you read my newsletter, you, you read this in my newsletter because I just put it out there, but her grandmother, um, who was a remarkable woman, uh, was a Holocaust survivor, 
and passed away just two weeks ago. And for people who listen, you probably know that generally for me, when I have these experiences, it's always, it's most often in that in-between state where I wake up around five and then we'll fall back asleep. And then I have this experience. So her, I mean, I knew that her grandmother was in hospice. She was sick, but I fell back into the sleep and she was getting very close to death. And I experienced a few things. One was that there were like several people waiting for her. I don't know who they were because I didn't know, I didn't know them in life. But one of the clear messages that I got was that her brother had been waiting and that he was excited and was, and everybody was going to need a lot of time with her. So it would be a little bit of, it would be a while before she, um, was able to kind of come back to this dimension and show signs and synchronicities and to share that with her daughter and her granddaughter, who is my sister-in-law is her granddaughter. And also she shared with me that there was an emerald necklace that she wanted my sister-in-law to have. Um, And then it was like gone. Um, And I remember laying there and consciously thinking, okay, like you're making this up, get up make yourself get up, get out of this and feeling kind of pushed back. Like I couldn't, I couldn't cognitively get myself out of it until it was done. Okay. And then that was it. Does this make sense? How long, (laughs) how long after the death of your, it was before. It was before. How long before? Hours. Like it was at, it was at like maybe 5.30 or 6, and then we got word that she passed around 9. So I don't even know. She was in a hospital, so who knows what the exact time of death was versus the time where someone came in and she was gone. Yes. All right. So you brought up an important point here. A lot of our, 18% of our shared death experiences happen a few moments, hours, even up to a day before or after the experience. So that's important to know. So your experience uh, would be what we would call a remote shared death experience, I would think. Well, let me think about this. Take a step back. I I need to know more about the case, but the fact that you had it in the morning, right when you're waking up is a very premium time to have these experiences. We call that the hypnopompic state. Just as you're awakening, it's kind of a, a liminal state. You have access to other dimensions in a certain way. So my sense is this, your sister-in-law's grandmother or mother? Mother? Grandmother. Grandmother. grandmother was somehow sending out a single either to you specifically or generally to get someone to let her granddaughter know that she was alive and well. Mm. So you got it and you're the messenger. Mm-hmm. Now you're an adept. So you'll likely gonna, you likely get lots of these. And you might sometimes have to figure out, oh my gosh, I had this experience. It sounds like someone's dead or something not so good happened. I've got to get this in from, figure out who this is. A few hours later you go, hey, by the way, so-and-so's mother died, you know, or, you know, so that's how it often works with these and your job in that situation, as, as I understand it 
would be to say, hey, I had this experience. I wanted you to know this is it. And, and for the recipient of that, in this case, your sister-in-law, she can say, oh, my gosh, that's so wonderful. She's alive and well. Mm -hmm. she, she's alive and well and in, a, in an afterlife. And so that's a real good message to, to send. Now, we're not saying that, that, that the grandmother, it's, it's a stretch to know, did the grandmother really specifically do this? Or that you just are ability to, to, who initiated this, we don't know. Was it a guide? Was it a higher sort? I don't know. Those are deeper questions. But the truth of the matter is, you got the message with the responsibility or the invitation to deliver a really loving, kind, affirming message to your sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. And we see this not a ton, but enough that we've created the term, I've created the term, uh, shared death experiencer adept. Someone who's able to have these experiences over and over again. And yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful gift. Mm -hmm. So amazing. This was such a great interview, William. Thank you so much. You're if very people, welcome. If people are interested in your work, um, in your book, which is out now when this drops um, at Heaven's Door, where can they find everything that you're doing? So the book is, I'm blessed to have Simon Schuster as the publisher. So whatever, wherever you get your books, you will be able to find it. And I always encourage people to consider uh, um, independent stores, local bookstores, just good to support them. Mm -hmm. They provide such a wonderful service. Um, you can find information about me and all the programs, the Shared Crossing Project and our research at sharedcrossing.com. I would encourage you to look at our story library. It's on our website. It's there you will hear um, edited three to five minute accounts, first person accounts of experiencers sharing their shared death experiences from around the world. Uh, and if you're interested in courses and things like that, we have all, you know, a number of courses we're bringing online. I'll be doing a group with Dr. Raymond Moody oh. coming up. Um, he's a big Still supporter. Going, huh? Still going. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there's other, other just good resources that I think you'll find uh, with so many, we've addressed a lot of it today, but there's, there's good stuff there. Well, thank you. And I know this is going to be a very popular episode for my listeners. This is right up our, all of our alley. So thank you so much, William. Oh, one other thing. If you have a case or study, I mean, a, a personal account, reach out to us at, at our, you'll see it there, info at Shared Crossing, or just go to our contact page. Oh, by the way, I should say this. I, my, my staff always says, William, you don't tell people we're on Instagram and Facebook. So you can always follow us there. And we do announce of a lot of great events. Like we have an event coming up, um, you know, at the time this comes out, it'll be really soon with Dr. Evan Alexander and I will be doing a, a, a kind of a book launch event. So awesome. And others. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. You gave me a little extra, but I couldn't, I couldn't not ask all the questions I needed to get in today. So thank you. You're very welcome. It was wonderful to be with you. You too. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 